0: Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. The good news and the bad news is I'm getting used to this. (laughs) Like, you know, when you get used to something you wish you weren't getting used to, I wish this were still so strange because it is strange to be in a mostly empty sanctuary. It is lovely to be here. I got to tell you, it's lovely to be in in this space. I'm getting used to looking at the black camera on the wall and conjuring you. I don't know exactly who's here right now, but I can picture the face of the people who often come on a Friday night or, and or who often come for Shabbos, for Yuntif Mincha. And so I'm trying to bring your presence into my Dalid Amot, into my four cubits, my six feet, because digitally you can be within six feet of me, uh, because even if you sneeze on me digitally, you will not get me sick. A brief word of Torah emanating from one particular look at an aspect of the Haggadah. Starting with a probing question. What are we learning from this? Might as well be learning something from everything. There should be no moment or period in our life, whether ecstatically joyful or radically hard, where we're not Taking lessons that the universe is trying to teach us. What sounds and voices should we be listening to during this time that will be very important that we heard well when it's over? Very important that we not forget. What hints or clues about the health and the status of our society and the health and the status of our spirits? must we take heed of. You all know the joke whose punchline is, but I sent you the car and the boat and the airplane, right? About the person who keeps thinking that God will save him from a rising flood, realizing that each time that someone came by his helm, first with the car, then with a the boat, and then an airplane to rescue him, that was a sign, that was a warning, saying that things are getting worse. And this is your opportunity to rescue yourself. It's a joke slash cautionary tale about what happens when we don't heed the warnings that are right in front of our face. There are warnings in the Exodus story. There are warnings in the 10 plagues. The 10 plagues and what God does to Pharaoh and the Egyptians are hard moral questions. You've all thought of versions of it. How could Pharaoh be punished for something that seemingly God was doing to him? God hardens his heart and then punishes him for having a hard heart. And why ten plagues? Why so many? Couldn't the omnipotent God have just done this in one fell swoop? And is there a pattern to those plagues? One of the interesting answers to the moral question of God's punishing Pharaoh is if you look closely at the language of the plagues, patterns do emerge. One of the patterns that emerges from the plagues is that in the beginning, it's not God who hardens Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Pharaoh is stubborn all on his own. It's only once that pattern of Pharaoh's own stubbornness establish itself, that it says that God hardens his heart. And one of the commentaries in that, to uh, save God a little bit from the utter cruelty it seems that God would be putting upon Pharaoh for punishing Pharaoh for something that God was doing, is, what does it mean to say that God hardens Pharaoh's heart? Not that God forced Pharaoh into stubbornness, but the way God created us, the way we are as humans is that sometimes when we become habituated to patterns, habituated to aspects of ourself, when we let ourselves fall into traps over and over again and don't heed the warning that it's going to lead to bad stuff, one could say that if it keeps happening to us, it's autonomous at that point. It's automatic. It's as if God is doing it to ourselves. Think of any bad habit. The time to break it was before it became normative to you in routine. Once it's part of who you are, it's as if God is making you do it. If you've ever tried to break a bad habit or pattern, it's as if the universe is working against you. So we have Pharaoh not heeding the warning of what happened after he chose to be stubborn originally and got punished for it. At some point, he had no choice in the matter because he was so used to responding stiff-neckedly, cruelly, in a domineering way to the Israelites. He didn't heed the warning. There's another clue in the patterns of the Ten Plagues that's picked up by the medieval commentator and traveler and writer, the Abarbanel, who mostly lived in Spain. Yitzhak Dan Abarbanel. And it focuses on an aspect of the Seder that if you were at the E-Seder last night, which was a wonderful experiment, a strange one for me technically to be using that technology on Yontif, but it felt holy. It felt felt very holy. Rabbi Chorney added three drops of blood, three drops of grape juice or wine that we remove from our cup of wine in addition to the 10 of the 10 plagues and in addition to the three that we normally also do in the name of Rabbi Yehuda, who made acronyms for those ten plagues. Rabbi Chorney was suggesting that this year we should have even more diminishment of our joy. But she was building on these three other ones that Rabbi Yehuda added. He took the first letters of the ten plagues and turned them into an acronym. Dam Tzfardea Kinim, blood, frogs, and lice, became Ditzach. The next three, Arov, Dever, Shechin, became Adash, and Beachav, Barad, Hail, Arbe, Locusts, Choshech, Darkness, and Bechorot, Firstborn. Barbanel says, What was the significance of these acronyms? Is it just 333? Three, three, three? Is there something that's patternized there? And in a close read of the text, he f- picks up something fascinating. If we take the last plague out, which is sui generis, right? Sui generis in its impact on the Egyptian society and sui generis in its impact on Pharaoh finally letting us go. Each of the other three had the following pattern in the way the plagues were communicated to Pharaoh. So you take them as a triplet. In each triplet, the first of the three plagues, God goes just outside Sorry, Moshe goes just outside the palace to deliver the news to Pharaoh that the plague is coming. In the second of each of, three set, of the three sets, Moshe goes to the palace, maybe even inside, to tell him that the plague is coming. In the third one of each three, the plague just happens without warning. So this pattern of three happens three times. And three, three, three equals nine until we get to the 10th plague. I warn you near your home, Pharaoh. I warn you, warn you in your home, Pharaoh. No warning. You're just going to get punished. Let's try it again, Pharaoh. I warn you near your home. I warn you in your home. You're not learning. It's just going to come and wallop you. Last chance, Pharaoh. I warn you near your home. I wore you, warn you in your home. You're not learning. It's just gonna come and smite you. And when that three, three, three is done, we get to the denouement of Makat This close read of the Ten Plagues, which adds some substance to those three extras that Rabbi Yehuda adds, tells us something really important about when tyrants and all people don't listen when people of goodwill and the universe itself is trying to tell us something important. Pick your topic. What clues are we not listening to about how we are destroying our environment, how we're choosing material goods and tasty foods and luxuries over or at the cost of being able to promise to our great-great-grandchildren that the basic resources of life will still be there. I read a fascinating and chilling article about how our enslavement of the animal kingdom and whether you are a vegetarian or a happy meat eater I'm not judging you in either direction but it's absolutely the case that humanity thinks of itself as the apotheosis of evolution and we can do anything we want to any animal that the way that we treat animals and cage animals and sell animals and put animals that were not meant to be with each other in the wild next to each other are increasing the chances that the microbes in those animals leap out from that part of the food chain into the human food chain. And it's probably the case that the hundreds of thousands of human deaths that will come as a result of this COVID crisis came from a leap of a microbe, from a bat to a pangolin to a human that wouldn't have happened if we were even a little bit more responsible with our shepherding and our stewarding of the animals that amongst us. What clues are we listening to as society is telling us in the headlines who is living and who is dying in this plague? It is a bit of Unatana Tokef, very starkly. It's just the case, my friends. And I feel blessed to be in the lucky part of this dichotomy that the people who have resources and larger homes and access to different kind of health care are less susceptible to death than people who live in poorer parts of a city or a country. African-Americans, by percentage, are being hit much harder by illness and death from this disease than are affluent white Americans. Is that the case for every individual person? No. Is it the case statistically? Apparently, yes. What are we learning about how much inequality based on race and just based on income a society can take before the pitchforks come out? How many times are we, the Pharaoh, in a situation where we're being warned outside our home, warned in our home, and then sometimes the plague just comes? And sometimes the plague could have been avoided. There need not have been locusts in Egypt. There need not have been darkness if Pharaoh had paid heed. None of these quagmires are easy. I don't have an individual solution for how to turn all of humanity into a more humane treatment of its animals. I do think the world should be moving towards vegetarianism and veganism. It's not going to happen with a snap of a finger. But animals will be Butchered, and people will die between now and when we figure that out. And I don't know how to snap my fingers, maintain a capitalist society with which I believe in, and also somehow make it more fair in our culture for people to be able to be aspiring towards a sense of financial well-being. I don't have the answer. I pity those who have to try to figure it out. But until we do, that inequality of life will turn to an inequality of death and we will not have been heeding the warnings. So this moment, which most of us will live through fine, is a moment where we have to think of ourselves as Pharaoh, not because we're cruel, but because we don't want to be blind. And if reality is knocking on the door and telling us to wake up and see the signs, we need to see the signs so that we don't get to that 10th plague. So my blessing for us as we continue to endure this incredibly challenging time is to take care of one another and express love as best we can and listen to the warnings that are being communicated to us so that we don't have to descend to where Egypt finally descended to, an Egypt that was never heard from again. We want to be heard from again and again so that our descendants will have known us and be proud to perpetuate what we have started to build. Shabbat shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts.